Podcast Revolution Network presents The Way with Noah. Good morning and welcome to another edition of The Way With Noah. Um, Yeah, it's been a long couple of weeks. Sorry for the delay with content, you guys. But when you're on the move, ripping and running, raising kids, working full time and, you know, trying to help build revolution of scale, it it gets a little bit, uh, things get a little backed up. So dropping a couple of episodes today. This one is a really interesting conversation that I had with a with a brother who writes, um, you know, some really interesting commentary. And this was a really this was a really good discussion about identity politics in the left, um, as well as a little bit of Marxist analysis. Now, you know, if you if you've been following me, you know, I don't dibble and dabble too much into you know the isms, only because not because I don't think it's important. Um, you know, shout out to my good friend, John McDonald, when we were in Minnesota at democracy convention, he challenged me, you know, to get more comfortable having certain discussions, but, um, I really do appreciate highlighting and showcasing people who actually understand certain concepts better than I do, because it makes for a really good, engaging and informative conversation. I try not to myself talk or, um, position myself as a as a knowledgeable force on things that I, I I may know of, but I'm not maybe the best person to talk about. So anyway, so this is a really great conversation coming up. Um, definitely check it out. Uh, like, share, subscribe if you haven't done so already to my 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 podcast on Spreaker, and you know subscribe on YouTube. Uh, definitely, you know coming back with more live content. Have done the traveling thing and. I mean, it's been a it's been a really interesting past several weeks looking at the opportunities and the work that is being done across the country. That is not necessarily getting, you know, the attention that a uh, good movement building should be. Uh, you know, we just saw Nikita Oliver did concede in her race out in Seattle, but that's just, you know, one race. I mean, Nikita and, and others involved have said they're going to keep going. And that's exactly the attitude we need to have across the board. Just imagine if all the really phenomenal candidates that we've had around the country took the time to, you know, continue their efforts, not just some organization that raises money for whatever, you know, issue, but really continued in a dynamic way, organizing and building and, 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 and promoting, you know, informed decision making at the community, at the local level, you know, on up. Imagine where we could be. And, and you know, we just need to keep reminding ourselves there's some really crazy times right now. I mean, you know, historically, we've seen crazy times. And I say we euphemistically, we've seen crazy times before. So um, enjoy this conversation that's coming up and definitely, you know, continue. Hit me up and, and let me know what would you like to see more of. I'm definitely going to be delving into some of this conversation around Confederate monuments and the alts, whomevers, um, and free speech. 
It's coming up soon. So check out this episode. We're talking about identity politics, really parsing into the nuance of the conversation instead of the superficial dismissal that we often see from multiple parties. All right, peace. So good afternoon. Another special edition. I'm just cranking it out this week. Um, this week, the last full week of, of July, where kids are going back to school. It's almost fall. Ugh. Anyway, um, you know, the summer resistance is like halfway over and I haven't really seen much resisting happening. But there's some really great commentary coming out of, you know, independent media folks, blogs, um, you know, podcasts, there's all types of stuff going on. And an article that I stumbled across, I think like two weeks ago, I think this is right after the fourth of July or so, um, why leftists should shut the fuck up about identity politics. And it I was Lord, right? Because we've been having this debate off and on, you guys, about identity politics being bad and what is identity politics. I talked with Katie Halper about this um, and some of my comments and thoughts on identity politics have been quoted in articles. Um, Katie and I talked about the difference between shallow identity politics and really, you know, deep work that addresses, you know, issues of persisting, you know, racial inequality, gender, and other, you know, quote-unquote identity issues, right? Um, so I ran across this this this, this piece um, the blog is The Negro Subversive, um, with a really great quote from James Baldwin, um, those who say it can be done are usually interrupted by others doing it. And mm-hmm. so this piece, I read it, I, I had to find the author on Twitter, and I did, and he responded to me. I'm so excited. How are you doing today? Thank you so much for joining me. I'm doing pretty well. I'm really glad to be here, really glad to be occupying a space which was recently occupied by President, uh, future President Nina Turner. It's a... Uh, Great to be here. Great to be talking to you. Thank you. Thank you. So, I mean, I really like how you break this down. And like we we talked previously, um, I'm not. I I admit that I do not talk about things that I am not well versed in. Right. And you get, even though I know you said you're not an expert, but you really do actually get into some some Marxist, you know, um, ideology, ideological conversations and all of this, as well as you know some of the issues with. And how the left or progressives um, deal with it. So, so kind of, what was your thought when you sat down to kind of deal, you know, start uh, this piece? Well, uh, this has been floating around in my head for a long time. Like, you know, every it seems like every couple of weeks, uh, somebody posts uh, something on, you know, Jacobin or you know, New Left Review or somewhere, you know, kind of savaging uh, quote unquote identity politics. And then, uh, I guess, I was, yeah, and then, you know, uh, with the whole Bernie Sanders thing, what was that in the politics, people that, you know, took him down. And I guess what, at, at the beginning of the piece, I talk about uh, the uh, Georgia 6th district, uh, district race, and somebody yeah. was on NPR saying, oh, oh, you know, you can't call these people racist and expect them to vote for you. And whenever I hear that, I'm like, this is Georgia. Uh, so you have to consider, obviously, uh, John Ossoff was white, but you have to consider what it means, uh, how the Democratic Party being perceived as a party cares about the rights of people who aren't white, people who aren't straight, people who aren't, you know, anything else, who aren't documented, how that impacts how they view the party. And actually, I guess a lot of this goes back to the very first time I heard Bernie Sanders talk. I was listening to NPR, not, you know, not listening to anything in particular, and this guy named Bernie comes on and he says, you know, I'm running for president. This is like in November 2015, 14, 2014. 
And he's like, oh, I'm running to bring the white working class back to the Democratic Party. And as soon as I heard that, no prompting, I'm like thinking to myself, well, we have to talk about why the Democratic Party lost the white working class. Thought process on this whole thing. Right, right, right. So, you know, just, just you, you know, you, you, and you know, in the beginning of your piece, you also know Dr. Adolph Reed. Um, yeah. And 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 I've had this conversation with Dr. Reed, um, and he's answered this question, you know, for me before. But there really, actually, there is a valid critique, right, against the use of leveraging identity just to advance certain positions or ideas, right? Like the idea that Kamala Harris is, is an example that that, that, that that comes to mind. If you don't support Kamala, you're a racist because she's black and a woman. Uh, versus people not looking her as a, yeah, the long list of actual ideological positions or, or other issues of, that have arisen from her time as, you know, California Attorney General. So, like, so that, 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 that right there, if, if that's something that gets labeled as identity politics, and that right there, there is a valid critique or, or, or discussion to be had about leveraging identity in that manner, right? But but what you go through in your piece is something deeper, right? When we're talking mm-hmm. about anti-racism, anti-sexism, really like you said, addressing, being willing to address the actual issues and concerns that affect people that, you know, Democrats or Muslims or some parties are saying they're going to represent and fight for, you can't run away from this. <laughs> um, you know, you can't be so afraid to talk to the, the white people that you throw the black people, the Latinos, the women, you know, are under the bus of the process. Like, so, so, can you just give us kind of a summary of, like, your overall analysis of what you were going through with this piece? Uh, yeah, definitely. I just want to, you know, go back to uh, the yeah. – I think overall the piece, I really wanted to, you know, go go deeper and get at kind of the the ways in which quote unquote identity politics, you know, uh, are valid. So like with Kamala Harris, I, I remember uh, when Thurgood Marshall was getting ready to retire, he knew he was retiring. I think it was under George H. W. Bush, the first Bush. They don't use this as an opportunity to appoint the wrong Negro, and we got Clarence Thomas. So you know, at the, at the end of the day. So what? Oh, yeah. Okay. But yeah, so at the end of the day, we got Clarence Thomas. So yeah, there, there definitely is a critique. I mean, I remember reading an article a while, I don't want to get off the, too, too far off the rails, but I remember reading an article a while back about how certain members of the Congressional Black Caucus, uh, you know, were in bed with some of the people who were targeting uh, black folk for, you know, for subprime loans. So there definitely is a point to be made for taking a Klansman, taking a Klansman's ideology, putting it into the mouth of a black person or a woman or a, a, a LGBT person, and then just kind of running with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and peace. Yes, yeah, I mean that was my. So I wanted to go through why we we're constantly having this debate because I always try to go deep on things. And in my mind, we shouldn't be having this debate. Like you know, you mentioned my engagement with Marxism. My engagement with Marxism comes through Franz Fanon. My first uh, engagement with with the, with the idea of the superstructure was reading Franz Fanon, they kept talking about the superstructure, and I'm like, what is this? And I looked this up. So, you know, my engagement comes to Kwame Nkrumah, it comes to C.L.R. James, Thomas uh, Sankara, uh, and so many, so very, W.E.B. Du Bois, and Malcolm X, and so many, very many others. And so I guess that maybe that's why I'm a little immune to the whole Bernie bro accusation, from, which I think is in itself kind of, uh, can be partly unfair. 
so yeah, to uh, to go to the piece, uh, yeah, basically I go through and I exam, yeah, and so I look at some of the aspects of Marxist ideology that might lead to this knee-jerk reaction to identity politics, quote-unquote, and a mm-hmm. tendency to see the aspect that you were talking about, like with Kamala Harris, the putting clannish ideologies into the mouth of somebody with black skin, the tendency to kind of see that as being the, quote-unquote, true face of identity politics, as opposed to how, what I see it as, which is a, a, mut- a, a mutilation. And so there's the idea of a, there's a superstructure. And the basic notion of the superstructure is that uh, the material conditions of society are what all of society's structures and institutions arise out of. So it's the structure of the social organization of who owns the means of production, how labor is organized to produce wealth arises out of that. So, you know, if you have a certain pattern of ownership, uh, you're going to have a certain legal system which is required to maintain that. You're going to have certain uh, culture. Your culture is going to need to develop in order to promote that as the ideal and so on and so forth. And so what comes from that is a tendency to want to reduce every what I call Marxist essentialism, to want to reduce everything to uh, the means of production. But even Frederick Engels said that uh, the fact that the material conditions of society the material organization of capital and labor in society to meet uh, foundation of society. It does not follow that it is the only foundation of society, which is a, kind of a nice point to make. So even they kind of acknowledged the role of, of other things. And then I talked about, uh, by the way, let me know if I'm you know, going on too much. Uh, no, 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 you're good, you're good, you're good. No, this is good stuff. Well, this is really good stuff. No, you're not just going on too much. We really do. My whole thing is context and nuance. I love context and nuance, right? Because, like like I said, when I talked to you before, like, I really found your piece engaging and informative um, because it's not there. There, I Like I said, I admit there are certain conversations I don't feel qualified to have in terms of getting more deeper into, like, I've read a little Fanon, but I'm not going to pretend like I'm some, like, really deep scholar. Mm-hmm. I, I have, you know, I have no problem sharing this space with people who have done more reading and thorough study than I have to really flesh out a good conversation on these issues, and that's why I appreciated about your piece. It was informative, it was engaging, and it was clear. Like I understood it. It wasn't all hokey and full of a lot of jargon, <laughs> you know. So, but, 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 but I think, I think what you're, well, the way you're going through this is really good. And also because I think a lot of people stop their study. They, they, they've read some marks. They've read some, some basic texts and things like that, but they don't go deeper to understand. And so they'll, they'll preach this colorblind approach to socialism, mm-hmm. to organizing, to communism even, when it's just like there's a deep and rich history that, that understands how to embrace and address all of these things. It should not be ignored or cast aside. So that's what I found really useful in your piece. So no, you're, you're, the way you're explaining going on is just right. Okay, thank you. Uh, so, there's, so there's the superstructure, so it's basically the idea that everything arises out of the material organization of society. And then there's that idea of bourgeois nationalism. What I think is that a lot of people, and, and, and a lot of these you talk about people uh, not engaging in deeper study, I think a lot of the people, if, you know, Bernie supporters, people who consider themselves to be, you know, uh, the uh, speakers for class politics, a lot of them probably aren't terribly deep into this, which means they can't even be critical of it. But I think uh, it's responding to this idea of bourgeois nationalism. 
And it's the idea, and I, I, I use some thought experiments in the piece, you know, imagine you have a factory, uh, you know, in, in a city, and the workers are complaining, oh, we need more, we need more, we'd be paid better, we need better conditions. You might mm-hmm. say, oh, well, well, there are those immigrants over there, or if we're talking about Europe, you might say, oh, there are those Jews over there, and, or, you know, I can't do this because the Jewish bankers will eat my, will, you know, eat my shirt, or I can't do this because the immigrant, the guy over there hiring the immigrants, well, you know, will vastly outdo me. And so you you then uh, refocus them, and so you uh, use nationalism to divide uh, the workers. And according to Marxism, it's that the idea is that, you know, I think he even says this, like the worker has no country, he has no religion, no, he has his, his relationships, the means of production, and the revolution. And then the third one is, like, is the uh, Marxist uh, teleology. And basically, you know, a teleology is uh, trying to see the future. So I'm a historian. And the teleology would be like, so Marxism is, is perhaps foremost a theory of history, and he has a theory about how history goes. And I'm not going to get too much into detail on that. But basically, he says that in, in any era, uh, you have a, a way that labor is organized. So feudalism, slavery, capitalism, whatever. And at a certain point, the way the society that the, the uh, production in society is organized comes into conflict with the institutions of the society, so the superstructure, or who rules it. So, you know, in, in, in Europe, the classic case would be feudalism. So under feudalism, you know, some guy owns, some guy controls land, his kids are going to control the land, his kids are going to control the land, you have the serfs, they're tied to the land, and so on and so forth. But then what ends up happening is you have these people in cities who are engaged in this kind of uh, this speculation, this profit gaining, they, they, they're not attached to the land, but they're speculating in, in commodities and so on and so forth, and they begin creating these massive amounts of wealth, and they, but society is still controlled by this feudal structure that is fundamentally antithetical to, you know, uh, what we would, to capitalism. That is that everything is up for sale, including land and everything else, and society is run by, you know, the last guy's son, it's run by whoever can, you know, uh, demonstrate the best ability to, you know, grow the economy and create profit and so on and so forth. And what that, what Marx was that ended up leading to was the bourgeois revolution, so the French Revolution, the American revolutions, uh, the, the English Revolution. And so that's the teleology. And and at the end of it, Marx believed that uh, essentially the uh, the last stage would be the transition from capitalism to socialism and then to communism. And he, he never put a date on it, but, it, but at, the, uh, at the beginning of the Communist Manifesto, he says, a specter is hunting Europe. That doesn't sound like it's supposed to take, you know, a, a long-ass time. And, you know, it's been about, what, a hundred and something years. And so I think, and so I, I talk about that in the piece, and so I think so you have that. In, in communism and, and socialism, were doing incredibly well. Like I was reading in dissent, people don't realize there was this massive history of uh, labor strife, you know, actual shootouts between, like, you know, striking Ooh. workers and security guards called in by the companies. And, you know, Marxism was, like, hegemonic, was dominant in the social and cultural sciences. You know, theory is basically just taking psychoanalysis and putting it with Marxism to, to engage in social critique. And so it looked, it looked like it was doing really well. You had Russia, and then you had China, and then you had Cuba, and then you had South America. 
and then all the effort, you know, uh, throwing off their chains uh, and, you know, that becoming Marxist. And I mentioned Thomas Sakar, Kwame Nkrumah. And so it really did look like the specter had left Europe and was, ha and was haunting the world. And then you have the Cold War and you have McCarthyism and you have all the things the U.S. did to kind of keep to either topple Marxist regime, regimes where they could, like they did in Burkina Faso and Ghana and uh, the Congo, and where they couldn't to basically turn them into hermits, as they did with uh, Cuba and, uh, and and Russia or the, or the USSR. And so you have that kind of sense of disappointment. It's like, oh, we were this close to taking mm -hmm. over the world. And then there's identity politics, to, and, and then you, at the same time you have the civil rights movement coming in, and and you know, and that's you know, spawned the what the new women's rights movement, the gay rights movement, all these other stuff, all this other stuff, and they're doing well, and they have, as I say in the piece, they have passion, they have verve, they have organization, they have everything that you think you need for the socialist revolution, but they're over there, and I think that has bred a sense of resentment, and it's, and it's the idea that we're just supposed to come do what you say as opposed to you, as I say in this piece, demonstrating trust you because you have every reason not to. I am not going to back away from this. I will never feel the need to justify being suspicious of the motives of one, white Americans, and two, people who say that we should not, uh, who, who, who want me to put aside, you know, the black freedom struggle as being at the forefront. And even me, as I as I engage the black freedom struggle, I engage, I look at things like, I think I fight in the piece cooperation, maybe I don't, but cooperation Jackson, you know, Chokwe Lumumba down in uh, Jackson, Mississippi, where they're bringing the black freedom yep. struggle in line with, you know, uh, uh, and, and I always say, you know, uh, uh, but yet I, I always say there's no point in replacing a white capitalist with a black capitalist because he's still chasing the exact same thing. Yeah. Yeah, and I, and I mean, even when you look at what's going on right now with Nikita Oliver and the People's Party that is running for um, mayor in, in Seattle, I mean, there there is, it is amazing to see the level of organizing and the way certain voices, narratives, and ideology are being centered in successful political, you know, engagement, you know, uh, uh, endeavors. Um, and, 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 and I'm really excited. And I, I so that's why I really love coming across your work. Um, and, and, and you see, like, because this is this is a rarity, not not to gas you up, but this is a rarity for people to really be able to see the big picture and be able to communicate it in such a clear way. Um, how this actually can help with the work that we need to be doing and how we need to be moving forward. So, I, I'm like I said, I really found it to be really well informed. Definitely, guys, if you're listening to this episode, the link is right there in the description. Go read his writing. You don't have to agree with it, but at least read it and consider the opinions and thoughts that that was the the actual source material that was that was put into work. Um, so and so just in thinking about just this kind of you know because uh, I know you mentioned like the Bernie Bro thing and, and I agree there is the, the, the overuse and ridiculousness of that. Um, you know, acknowledging that Bernie Bro is blown out of proportion is not to say that there isn't you know. A degree of an issue, but there's an issue in all spaces, right? When we're talking about working across, you know, interracial, gender barriers, you know, sexual orientation, whatever. But issues exist. I mean, oppression is something that runs deep across all areas of our society. And even though people are on the left and have better ideas, doesn't mean they're immune to, to, to even if it's subconscious, you know, things. How, 
how do you see this going forward and and the movement building work that many of us you know have seen ourselves trying to engage in um you know just just looking through your critical lens of how to actually really own the idea the strength of um a well defined well supported um politics grounded in you know defending identity well well frankly and i could like I said, this was primarily focused on identity politics, but I'm not, I'm, I'm the kind of, you know, class-based Marxist way of looking at things. But there are definitely, there are also critiques to be leveled at sort of, I mean, I, I, I'm, it's weird because I consider myself to be a revolutionary, so I want to, you know, as Dr. King said, turn society upside down and right side up. Like I said, I like Fanon, I like CLR James, I think we need a fundamental reorganization of human society. So it's like I'm on one side, but this one side is split into two sides in reality, and so I'm pulled between those two sides. And so you have the so I'm, I'm committed to anti-colonialism, anti-imperialism, the Black freedom struggle. I think that in serving that, that was that's always going to be my first focus. We also we have to attack what I call Euro capitalism, and I think that requires going back to on the identity on the so-called identity politics side. You know, uh, re-engaging the work of you know people like Huey Newton and you know Bobby. C and uh, I can't believe I can't think of his name, Fred Hampton, uh, you know, that, that, that anti-imperialist Marxist way of looking at things on the black side and, and making sure that we're not just, you know, so for instance, uh, uh, I, I almost don't want to call out names, but one of my issues with, you know, some of the uh, names that have come out of Black Lives Matter, uh, one guy, mm -hmm. very prominent, uh, I, I'll just say D. Ray McKesson, I remember him saying uh, that he believed in the system until Ferguson. I heard that I'm like Negro. You got to be up, you got to be thirty something, and you still believe in the system. It took Ferguson to get you to not believe in the system, and so there certainly is an element of there's a flaw in our structure of leader production. And I'm, I'm definitely in line with Ella Baker. You know, strong people don't don't need strong leaders, but if you're gonna have folk up front talking, they should you know be people with a strong revolutionary focus. And so I think that's key. And so that is informed by the Marxist perspective, which is big enough to massively critique every aspect of society. On the flip side, on the, on the class politics side, go, go talk to white people. Don't talk to me. Go talk mm -hmm. to white people because, I, mm -hmm. as I said earlier, my, my orientation is not to trust you, period. And I'm not ashamed of it. I got 400 years of data to back me up. I'm not. My inclination is that uh, I use, a, I use a, a thought experiment in the piece. Why, you know, uh, when, when class people want to attack identity politics, they always say, oh, well, so from an identity politics perspective, uh, you could have a society where all the wealth is controlled by a thousand people, and as long as 50, 510 of them are women, you know, 130 are black, and so on and so forth, that's okay. Well, well, one, technically speaking, that would be a racially just society, but nobody that I know, nobody's ever said that racial justice is the only justice. On the class thing, I could say that a society... Uh, in which, you know, people of color or black people are redefined as a, as a means of production and then are evenly distributed would be equal from, equal from a Marxist perspective. And so, you know, you have to, so I'm not going to, I have no reason to believe, and I talk about, I go with more to the historical examples, but I have every reason not to trust you, even if you're a Marxist, even if you're a leftist, mm -hmm. and if you are, and if you the fact that you find it easier to talk to me and yell at me and paint me as what's wrong with the party and paint a uh, focus on my issues as being wrong with the party instead of, you know, focus on people who are saying, 
You know, well, you know, a free college sounds good, but you know, the niggers are getting it. And nobody can, I'm, right. I, I am from, I'm from Orangeburg, South Carolina. Nobody can tell me that's not down there. You are not going to, I always say I got called a nigger the first time before I could spell it because kindergarten had not started yet. You were not going to sit and tell me that there's not an element of, oh, you know, uh, these programs sound good, but those lazy niggers will get it. Look at welfare. How did uh, Reagan uh, gut, uh, gut welfare? The welfare queen. He went to he went to Philadelphia, Mississippi, and talked about uh, and talked about you know quote unquote states' rights. So that part has got to be uh, that part has got to be engaged. And and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna partner with people who expect me to go who who are gonna be waving Confederate flags. I'm not ashamed of. It. I'm not gonna partner with you. Now is that everybody? No. And you know. Uh, some some of these people are the extreme, but even if you kind of think I'm not human, even if I, I've, I've seen this, that, you know, and I don't want to get all to, all to this, but you know what well, I could, well I guess I am. But you know I talk, you know one of, one of the one of the things Marx offers is a critique of ideology, and even so-called nice white people in these places that you think you can work with, in my experience, if you talk to them and start asking them uh, hard questions certain phrases and certain terms start coming out and they start saying things like, well, let's have a real conversation. And that typically involves me getting called names. So I don't think it's up to black people to, you know, shut up and go deal with people who think we're subhuman apes and fit to walk the earth. From this, I will not be dissuaded. Uh, I also will not be dissuaded from the idea that, you know, uh, as far as I know with my quote-unquote fellow identity politics people, I will also not be dissuaded from the notion that we do need a fundamental reform of society, and that certainly includes a reform of the means of production. That's the thing. I, I'm probably more radical than I'm probably more radical uh, than almost any Bernie bro you're run into. I want I, I, I want to reform the world and rescue it from Western hegemony. So I'm not over here like, no, we just need to reform when they get a few more people of color in place. No, I, I want, you know, fundamental reform of global society. But I'm not going to deny, I'm not going to be quiet about the fact that the foundation of global society as it is, is in colonialism and racism. The global capitalist system, Walter Rodney told us this, was built on slavery. The entire ideology of, 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 the, of the Western world, and especially America, is based in racism. I think they had a, so, yeah, and so we have to engage this, and it's not going to be easy, it's going to be hard, and if you can't do that hard work, frankly, get out of my face. We'll have the revolution without you. <laughs> but isn't that so true? Like, like you know, all of the contortions and nonsense people are going through, it's just like, y'all not ready for, for prime time. Like, we, this, this ship is sailing. We got to keep it moving. We can't stand still and hold hands. And we got the people doing the, you know, the respectability politics on the one hand, or why don't you give certain people a platform, even though they're, they're preaching hate, trying to destroy you. I mean, it's just so much going on. So <laughs> you are not on. But what you think about how, and absolutely, this is why, like you said, go talk to white people. This is why we need so-called black comrades, co-conspirators, to go out there. Okay, you, you woke, you, you know what's up, good. Go get your people. Go organize mm-hmm. your people because it is not our job to save America from racism. Mm-hmm. It's not to save America from racism. I mean, you're definitely going to stand up, exercise self-determination, do what you got to do. You're not mine up and along with me, but it's not my job or responsibility to talk nicely to white people so that they can they can, they can understand. I have no problem mm-hmm. being respectful 
into my dialogue with people, but there really is this misconception, right, with respect dialogue and respectability. I think that because what you're doing right now is respectful dialogue. Your cheek, you know, your piece was respectful dialogue. But people seem to think that you got to, like, hold hands and stroke somebody's hair and basically kiss ass if you're raising something in opposition or in criticism. I'm just speaking as a regular free-born black person in America. My truth is what I understand to be real. I'm not denigrating anyone in the process. I'm not playing oppressive, pressureless bitch and downplaying anyone else's struggle. I'm speaking, you know, a critical issue. And somehow that's true, that's mean, it's dangerous. But it's, the, it's a historical, we've seen this historically in the way we get marginalized and impossible because we're destructive or we're divisive or any type of to, to separate our voices from the larger context and conversation to list as not people realize and maintaining the current system as in America because willing to do what it takes or willing to be uncomfortable for a little while to get to a better yeah. place for everyone. And it's disheartening. That's a, there's some people, right, because there are others who take that, take that head on, are willing to dig deep and work through I mean, I'm sure it is uncomfortable having a conversation about certain issues for people, but you know what else is uncomfortable? You know, when your 13-year-old comes home crying because police, you know, tapped him very aggressively while he was playing football with his friends, throwing up against the fence, patted down, and he was terrified because they did nothing wrong. You know, mm. and he has to walk home in the dark because he's too scared to even reach for his phone. Like, mm. and and I live, you know, I live in a black city with black mayor and black police. So... I mean, the system, it doesn't matter who's in control, the system itself is so deeply ingrained with these issues. We can't, we can't wring our hands and worry about who's talking nicely or what, what tone we're using when we talk. We need to get down to the basics and, and the issues, right, and, and really start moving forward better work. So, I, like I said, everything you're saying is spot on. Yeah. I want to say, yeah. No, go ahead. But, uh, yeah, and that's the thing. I... No, I come off as strident in what I say, and I ain't ashamed of it. Uh, you know, oh, you know, you're being extreme. Reality is extreme. I frankly, when it comes to critiquing white supremacy, I don't have time for white people's feelings. I will tell them, I'll say straight up, I lost concern for your feelings when they kept Khalif Browder in, on Rikers Island until his spirit oh. broke into it. He killed himself. I don't really, I don't have time for your feelings. I really don't, and I could go, you know, uh, just and, and then there's so there's the yeah there's the physical violence. I lost concern, uh, you know, for uh, I lost the capacity to center white people's feelings when I saw a black woman on the stand talking about how a police officer uh, kicked down her door and shot her twelve year old or eight year old granddaughter in the head. That's when I stopped having time to center white people's feelings. Mm-hmm. You know? And it's like the rhetorical violence yeah. uh, the, 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 the we as black people have to go through in this country. William Bennett, former Secretary of Education, in charge of educating millions of black children, went on national TV and said, if you aborted every black baby, the crime rate will go down. This son of a bitch is on live television at, uh, talking about black genocide, and they still had his... They still had his ass mm-hmm. on CNN afterwards like it was just okay. Uh, what else? Ronald Reagan. St. Ronald went to Philadelphia, Mississippi, where they murdered three civil rights workers for advocating for my right to vote and have the audacity to talk about states' rights. So even even Hillary Clinton with the whole super predator thing, I was looking into that, and I realized I'm a super predator. 
I was born in 1991. I was raised by a single mother. According to the demographics of that study, I'm supposed to be godless, jobless, and without empathy or remorse. And so the rhetorical violence, the reason, and just dealing with the white people, having to, you know, I have to, I, my job is in the hospitality industry. I have to constantly make myself not cuss these motherfuckers out. I think we just got real on the show for a second. I think we just got kind of real. You said you said you said you were born in '91. Yep. Yeah, you and my little sister, y'all in the same boat. My sister also born in '91, also in the hospitality industry. Yep. <laughs> Going through the same thing. They don't tip me enough for this. They don't tip me enough for this. <laughs> yeah, precisely, precisely. And so it's like, and so I really, I don't know where I'm supposed to like the, the shit I've had to eat. And I wrote another article on my on my uh, page talking about uh, that Dana Schultz, uh, that Dana Schutz uh, painting in the Whitney, where she made a a, a painting of uh, Emmett Till's uh, mutilated corpse. Uh, I, you know. Yes, I remember seeing that. You know, I have to I have to go around all day. I have to go around all day in this country. Oh, knowing that that kind of thing could happen, that there are animals, filthy savages, down in Mississippi who would shoot up the sign in honor of this child. I, I live in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, I, for your listeners who may not know, Ida B. Wells was a great anti-lynching crusader, the, the, the greatest. And uh, she was in Memphis, Tennessee. She operated her own newspaper. And she... Uh, three of her friends who owned a grocery store were taken out into a field and shot by white men because they wouldn't give up their store. And she wrote a piece about it, uh, 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 you know, obviously condemning this extrajudicial lynching, and then went to New York to give a speech, and they came in there and destroyed uh, her home and her newspaper. She could never come back to Memphis. The newspaper editor who advocated for her lynching has a statue in front of the Tennessee State Capitol. I pay to keep the bird shit off of that goddamn statue every single day. I pass by it every day, and Lord knows in my heart of process of the dynamite that damn thing. And so I have to eat, I thought, we, we, we all have to eat shit like that all goddamn day, which is the only way that mm -hmm. it, James Baldwin said to be a Negro in America and to be relatively conscious is to be in a rage all the time. If white people knew how much shit those of us who are relatively conscious, and even those of us who are not relatively conscious, have to eat to not be out here with AK-47s uh, having the revolution, uh, they would shut the hell up. I think I just ruined the show. Oh, <laughs> you, 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 you did it. You did it. Like, <laughs> I think that's a good place to put the pen in it because I really don't know what to follow up, but. But I think what you're saying, though, is absolutely right in terms of we have to eat, and I, this will have an explicit. <laughs> Y'all, now you see why I got the explicit content warning on it, but it's all good. It's real conversation with real people. Um, I really do, when you talk about what we have to eat, and it's not even like it's a complaint. It's just an observation. It's a recognition of this is what my experience is. This is what I'm going through. So I don't need to make myself more palpable, you know, more appealable, more, more nice. If you either you take me as I am, or you go do what you're gonna do wherever you're gonna do it, and 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 I just think that's real. So I appreciate you um, so much for that. Definitely, this is good. I just, okay, so so are we still on? Are we still going? Or we we still going? You can keep going, or I can just stop right there. I mean, you know, I still gotta edit, so. so yeah, yeah, I was just gonna say. I was just gonna say. You know, that, that's what I always say. White, I I have friends who will say. You know, 
black and not black. And, you know, friends will say, oh, you need to be less straight. Or what about their feelings? I'm like, look, white supremacy, if white supremacy gave a damn by my feelings, they would have thought about that shit when they were bringing people over in chains 400 years ago. They would have thought about that shit through lynching, uh, somewhere in between lynching one and 4,000. They would have thought about that before, you know, uh, you know, uh, before uh, the murder of Emmett Till, before beating Fannie Lou Hamer into her, you know, kidney uh, blew up. They would have thought about that before, before so many other things during this uh, 400-year period if white supremacy gave a damn by my feelings. So and this is, you know, this is why a lot of the work that Son of Baldwin is doing, you know, saying, you know what, you're never going to fuck about my feelings. I'm a human being, too. I feel shit, too. And, you know, play Mr. Nice Negro for your ass. Uh if nothing else, I'm gonna take the. I'm, I'm, if nothing else, and I do the. I'm, I, I had a situation on my job, uh, and I don't. And I don't know if any of this will be useful. But that situation on my job, uh, basically, I give a tour, and I give tours, and uh, they, they they added some stuff to the tour, and one of them was supposed to kind of go by Belmont University, that's Belmont Mansion, which is a slave, which was a slave plantation, and one of my coworkers was like, "Do you know anything about Belmont Mansion?" And I said, "No." Story. Everybody knows. I know about what I care about and, you know, what I want to know about. So he said, hey, do you know anything about Bill my match? And I said, no. And he somehow interpreted that as, oh, please give me some more information. So he's like, give me information. And I said, I just kind of yelled out. I said, I am not talking about that fucking plantation. Talked about, you know, Margaret Mitchell gone with the wind. No, he started talking about gone with the wind. And I said, oh, the woman who wrote that Margaret Mitchell, she got run over in, in, a, in, in, in a, on Peachtree Street in Georgia by a drunk driver. We should celebrate that day as a national holiday. <laughs> savage. Um, yeah, yeah so. that's savage. I mean, there's so much stuff going on, so much going on, but I definitely appreciate our conversation today. And yeah. uh, this has been good. And I, I like to, to keep following up, and I like for us to collaborate and do something else again. Um, and keep up the good work. Like, I, I really appreciate your writing. We'll definitely make sure to circle back and share some more. It's, it's good stuff. So thank you. Yeah, it's been great talking to you. I'm going to go, I don't know, take a cold shower or something. Have a good day, and let me know when it's edited. Yeah, definitely. We'll talk to you soon. All right, have a good one, bro.